to theme music from the old TV series, Mission Impossible. Good morning, Mr. Phelps. Your mission, should you choose to accept it. And then after he hears the mission, the cassette tape would suddenly dissolve in a puff of smoke. How they would do that today with MP3s? <laughs> you and I are invited today to step out and take part in a risky mission. Now, as for me, I'm generally a pretty risk-averse person. I like to avoid danger and play it safe whenever possible. Uh, well, we were on this hairdressing cruise. Now, I know you wouldn't suspect me hairdressing cruise. But my wife, Pat, is a hairstylist and took a couple of her associates. And so we were on a cruise last week, Miami, to Nassau, Bahamas, Labadee, Haiti, back to Miami. So we booked these zip lines. So here's this morning's program. Uh, okay, so keep, keep your eyes over on, uh, over on the left-hand side. And uh, here we go. <laughs> so that was the practice round. <laughs> this is the real zip line. And we went down this not once, but twice. There's two different ways to go. That's the, the Explorer of the Seas real pretty cruise ship in the background came on. That's the beach down below. And that's kind of what we looked like from ground level. If you look up in the top left there, those two bodies flying by 500 feet above the air, above the ground, and 2,800 feet long, as it said. Anyway, it was an experience. <laughs> so that when you go down to either torpedo shape or flying, I was flying, Patty was the holder of a torpedo. The other one, you're actually sitting in this hammock sort of thing, and I, I like that better because I can look around. So if you're a torpedo, you see the ground flying by. <laughs> anyway, uh, last year, as well as some of you know, I got my uh, motorcycle license. Uh, after wiping out a few times on the lawn at home and once during the actual test, uh, motorcycles are not the safest things either. But because I know the woman I proposed to and she enjoyed such adventurous activities, I prepared myself to embark upon some exciting plans. <laughs> Deepening the relationship involved delving into shared activities, even though there was an element of risk involved. Christian life is a bit like that. If we claim we know Jesus, we'd better be ready to be stretched by him as he calls us to go where we might not otherwise for the sake of being with him where he's at work. Enter at your own risk. Makes you think twice before you step across the door still and assign your life away, it seems one way or oh, this is actual the gate door you step through to go on to the zip line. And they had to do this to get up into the torpedo shape, the torpedo position. They had to put your hands like this and do a trust fall forward off the platform while they swung your legs up onto into the torpedo. That took a little trust. Uh, so are you really <laughs> Are you ready to commit yourself past the point of no return? Entering the kingdom of God is a major theme for Jesus, whether they were in or out. 
Mark 947. If your eye causes you to sin, suck it up. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. It's binary, one or the other. There's no third choice. Enter God's kingdom or be thrown into hell. Or take verse 13 on in today's passage. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, as broad as the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's a narrow gate, a small portal in the wall, opening onto a narrow road inside. I can imagine a twisting alley inside a medieval town where the houses are almost touching. There's barely room to squeeze down the alley. There's a restriction that's compressed, a tight fit. Yeah, wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and a crowd is thronging it. Paul warned in 2 Thessalonians 1, He will punish those who do not know God or do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. That's not something you want to happen to you. For caution to count the cost of following Jesus. Eternal life is free. It's sheer grace made possible by Jesus' self-giving on the cross so our sins can be forgiven rather than by our own works or effort or merit. But following the Master is still demanding. Luke 9.23 Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. How often? How often? Yeah. It's a daily decision. Or Mark 10, 24, 29, 30. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with what persecutions and in the age to come eternal life leaving family house fields persecutions we're not going to sign up too quickly for that you want to get into God's kingdom, dramatic change is called for. Matthew 18.3, Jesus warned, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what the early apostles found. They had to be prepared to be martyred and suffer beatings and imprisonment wherever they went. Paul reminded the early believers of this in Acts 14 22, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. How is the kingdom entered? Through many tribulations. I was reading an article in Charisma magazine about the persecution faced by Christians in Nigeria, largely due to terrorist groups such as Boko Haram. A pastor was pleading for the church in the West to be praying for them. Nigeria is ranked about the 12th most persecuted nation on the planet for Christians. But if it's a small gate and narrow road that leads to life, what about the popular saying of pluralism? Many roads lead up a mountain. As if to suggest it, it doesn't really matter which religion you follow as long as you believe in something. 
And by the way, it was great to have such a great class this morning for Sunday school. Uh, we just started that movie, American Gospel. If you didn't, uh, if you forgot or something, please come next week. We're doing 10 sessions on it. A great movie that really focuses in on the truth of Christianity. How do we know that truth, and uh, how do we how do we respond to some of these other worldviews? Biblically speaking, it's not true to say that it doesn't really matter which religion you follow as long as you believe in something. Note the audacity of our Lord Jesus, the, the scandal of particularity that salvation is to be found only in Him. John 14, 6, Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How many other names? None. Zilch. Nada. No one else has done what Jesus did. No one else claimed to be the sacrifice for atonement for people's sins. No other religious leader ever predicted they would die and come back to life and did it. Jesus' claim to ultimate authority is absolutely astounding. Verse 23 here in Matthew 7 implies he'll be the one who finally decides our fate. Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In the Matthew 25, 41, where the king commands the unfaithful to depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angel. 25, 46, and eternal punishment. These are great consequences for all eternity. What then makes this good news, evangel? It's good news because, thanks to Jesus, there's also an option, an escape hatch from eternal fire and doom. Jesus offers himself as the gate. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. John 6, 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What a promise. Now that is truly good news. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, MacArthur comments, salvation is by grace alone, but it is not easy. It calls for knowledge of the truth, repentance, submission to Christ as Lord, and a willingness to obey his will and his word. So, how can you tell? How do you know for sure whether you're in or out, that you've actually entered God's kingdom? Well, you need to examine the evidence. Verses 15 to 21 of Matthew 7, Jesus emphasizes the need to distinguish between true and false prophets by moving their fruit. The word fruit is used repeatedly, seven times in his many verses. So what do we look for in terms of fruit? One clue is found in verse 23. Do we know Jesus? Are we recognizable to him? Matthew 14, 23. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. We say we actually know Jesus. Do we make it a regular practice to spend time with him, to hang out? We have Jesus saying, number one, I've begun to follow Jesus, and I'm depending upon the Spirit of Jesus in my journey. Number five, 
I am learning the teachings of Jesus. Are we familiar with what he taught about most often as major emphases? That's where Sunday's worship and sermons and small groups and especially routine daily quiet time, that's code for Bible study and prayer, help. John 10, 14. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's that relationship based on shared experience together. There's a shared history. The shepherd the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice and respond. Addie has a calico sheep named Callie, which I help feed and look after, so I guess that sort of makes me a shepherd. <laughs> Callie lives in a pen with her buddies, two Nubian goats. Callie's pregnant with at least twins, so we've been giving her some extra nutrition while she's pregnant. I put some sweet feed in a metal bowl and call sheep, 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 while approaching the pen. Callie pricks up her ears and heads over to the door of the pen. I let her out, being careful to keep the goats inside. Takes a few minutes to eat her special treat out in the corridor, and then I put her back into the pen. We've developed sort of a routine, you might call it. What are your routines with your shepherd? Jesus talks about recognizing false prophets by their fruit, verse 20. Then in verse 23, the phrase, I never knew you, can also mean, I was never acquainted with you. Approved, recognized. So Jesus recognize us as his own due to frequent interaction. I was standing at the post office in Wingham a couple of weeks ago when a woman wearing sunglasses walked out. Well, you sometimes bump into people in places you wouldn't expect to see them. I rarely use the Wingham post office, so it took me a minute until I realized the woman behind the sunglasses was actually Jim Smith. There's that flash of recognition. Oh, I know her. One aspect of evidence that we are the Lord's has to do with the Father's will. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who will enter. Father's will. Humans are souls. Hebrew nephishes, like little baby birds in a nest, all with their beaks open, clamoring for the next bite to eat from their parents. Desire. Little nephishes, hungry souls, individual bundles of appetites, desires, hopes, and dreams. Are we wanting just what we want? Or are we hungering for the Father's will, God's purposes to be accomplished? Matthew 12, 50, Jesus said, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. Are we after what God wants? Is that first and foremost in our life? First Peter 4, 2, Peter admonishes believers to live out the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That is, for constantly checking in, carefully asking, what is God's In older English translations, sometimes the word narrow was translated as straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, narrow, tight, confining. St. Augustine comments, what makes the gate so straight, S-T-R-A-I-T, to us? It's not straight or narrow in itself, but we want to take in our pride, our self-will, our darling sins. Like when you're walking down that 
narrow path between the rows of seats on an airplane, and you have to hold your, your bag and your carry-on in front of you and behind you so you don't bump everybody as you go by. Our baggage blocking our passage can be our darling sins, to use Augustine's phrase, our pride, our insistence on doing our own thing, carrying out our own will in our life. Have we truly gotten on board with our Heavenly Father's will? That involves receiving it, accepting it, submitting to it, repentance, alignment of our will to His. This past week, we were on the cruise, we were acutely conscious that we needed to get on board before the ship left at 5 p.m. last Sunday. So, that was at the dock in Miami. We needed to show up with passports and printed passes in hand. For that to happen, there was a whole sequence of decisions and events to arrange. Beginning with getting up at half past midnight, Saturday night, to drive to Detroit Airport with luggage all packed. If we didn't get it all together, make certain choices by a deadline, we would be left behind. We wouldn't be getting on board unless we miss out on a wonderful experience. Uh, we were on a bus tour in Miami on uh, Friday, just spending time between when our the ship got in and when our flight went out. And uh, we were on this bus tour, and uh, there's one street they drove, turned to go down, and it was all blocked off. There were police cars, and many policemen, helicopters overhead. There'd been a double shooting. So uh, they had this little stop off not far away, and they said, uh, You'd be back at the bus in 10 minutes. We were all back on the bus in 10 minutes. We did not want to go back to the So you don't want to miss out getting on board. Are we truly on board with the Father's will? Is the ship of the kingdom leaving without you? Besides knowing the Father's will, it's necessary to be actually doing it. Verse 21, only he who does the will of my Father in heaven will enter the kingdom. This gets an obedience. Not a popular word in today's do your own thing, culture of independence. It's such an important component of fruitfulness. Ephesians 5 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Jesus warns us not to just be paying lip service, calling, Lord, Lord. Maybe even busy with many religious activities. Verse 22 has an impressive list. Prophesying, driving out demons, performing miracles. Yet, they actually missed the most important part, the relationship. Verse 23, Jesus actually calls them evildoers. Those who Thorn bushes don't produce grapes. Thistles don't produce figs. Verse 17, every good tree bears good fruit. What's the New Testament described as good fruit? A few things. There's obviously the passage in Galatians 5 where it describes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's other references to good fruit. Ephesians 5, 9. Fruit of the light, all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Philippians 1.11, righteousness. Colossians 1.10, bearing fruit in every good work. Some of these terms, like righteousness, for example, are almost non-words in today's culture. But we declare God. It's our life righteous. 
If you're going through hard times right now, it's not necessarily a sign of God's disapproval or that he hasn't been noticing your fruitfulness. Jesus speaks of the presence of the practice of his father, the vine dresser, in John 15, 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The pruning that's happening to you right now, that the inexplicable problems or even pain, may be the Lord's way of cutting you to bear even more fruit. Jesus includes in this section a warning to watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Earlier this year, one of our roosters had a close encounter with not a wolf, but a coyote. I wasn't home at the time, but when Patty saw her rooster, he had just one single tail feather left. All the others were ripped out by the coyote. Patty grabbed a walking stick and went after the coyote, scaring it off. He said, when he picked up Trooper, that's the rooster, his heart was beating wildly. Very close escaped. Ravenous wolves or coyotes are dangerous in the spiritual realm as well. Christian church has had its share of false problems. Jim Jones here in the picture, isn't that a sweet picture? We had hundreds of people, that's about four decades ago now, but some of you remember the Jonestown massacre, over 700 people died uh, in that cult. Uh, recently on social media, I saw news of a radical sect in Central America where people were beaten and even killed because false teachers held that that was necessary for their sins to be forgiven. So wrong, it's so deadly. So when you're surfing through the channels or browsing podcasts or YouTube videos by supposed Christian teachers, you need to be on the watch for in terms of false prophets. How do you know whether you can trust a big name like Beth Moore or Rick Warren or Joyce Meyer or Joel Austin? Speaking of Beth Moore, she was excellent on the his gathering. You should, you should all, not just the women, but men too. If you've got any time, go on the If Gathering website before Monday midnight, and you can watch the streams from this uh, weekend's uh, event down in Dallas. That was uh, simulcast. Great stuff. If you're like me, you fast forward. You, you do it after the event, and you fast forward to where the speakers are. I um, I watched Beth Moore and uh, Jada Edwards. They're both good. They're in the first session. I hear from others that Sadie Robertson and Jenny Allen, and she's got her green leather jacket on, are working on this too. I haven't seen them. Anyway, giftgathering.com. And just, uh, you can, yeah, you can give your email. You don't have to agree to sign your PC email. Just go on. It's good stuff. Good material. But all those big names like Rick Warren and so on, Joyce Meyer, are popular and devoted followers. What does the New Testament teach us to look for in terms of false teaching? John 10 12. Jesus says the hireling abandons the sheep because he is a hireling. He's just in it for the money. He doesn't actually care for the sheep. 2 Peter 2 is more descriptive. Verse 1. They secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Does this broadcaster accurately represent Jesus and his content, or are they focus on certain angles for prosperity gospel? Mm -hmm. Verses 12 to 22. Blaspheming about matters of which they're ignorant. Count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They have eyes full of adultery.
Sinful for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. Speaking loud, boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise of freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. This is Peter back in the first century. This isn't right now. It still goes on, unfortunately. Note the key words here heresy, deny the Lord, pleasure, verse 13. Adultery and greed, verse 14. Boastful passions of the flesh, in verse 18. Cult leaders often take sexual liberties with those who belong to the cult. You always check out the teacher you're listening to on the airwaves. Is their doctrine sound? Are they seeking to line their own pockets more than to bring people to Jesus? Last week, Patty and I spent a day on Labadee, that's where the zip line was, a small island just off the coast of Haiti, owned by the cruise lines of ships can dock there and passengers spend a day in dry sand. And sort of, frankly, I'd rather go on a mission trip maybe than sand and stay in the cold. As we left the main market building showing crafts and brightly colored clothing for sale, Haitians in official-looking blue shirts offered to escort us to more shops. Each one tried their best to get us to buy something, but unfortunately, or not. I had left my wallet behind on the ship. <laughs> As we continued on our way past the shops, they kept calling out for us to come and see, come and see. And Patty remarked they seemed to be confined to the sidewalk along the road. They obviously had limits in their contract. They weren't allowed to leave their storefronts and bug us on the main roadway. As long as we kept the main path, we were safe. So it is with the path we turn alive. Small is the gate, the narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Enter through the narrow gate. Jesus himself is the door. Lord, we thank you. You've given your life to become that gate for us. Lord, help us to turn and become like little children, to trust you. Take that time. Take you at your word. Help us to leave behind our pride, our willfulness, our need to be in control, all our darling sins. Lord, what you offer us is so much. Thank you for leading us into your will, to know you, to know the Father, and to be